Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on the programme today by Tim Swan. Tim is the director and founder of Form Bespoke Jewellers, a retailer of high standard jewellery from ethically sourced precious stones and metals based in Leeds, West Yorkshire. Tim, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme. You're very welcome, thank you. Real pleasure having you join us, Tim. Um, the purpose of this discussion is, of course, to address first and foremost your take on leadership. So if we look at that word leader and just take that aside for a moment and explore that in a little bit more yeah. depth, I'm interested to understand sure. what that word means to you and how it resonates on the whole. What should a leader be in your view? So... From my perspective of, of uh, setting up a founding form about jewellers, I was lucky enough to start the business with a, um, with a friend that I've known and worked with throughout uh, my career up until then. So it's only so for us then it was is working as a team. We're fifty fifty, so there's no kind of in my eyes a particular leadership. It was just we both were taking the business forward. But since then, in the sort of five years ago. Up to now, we've we've started to employ staff and, and growing as a business. So for me, it's it's not really it's, it's working as a team with, with people. I wouldn't see myself particularly as telling people the certain roles they've got to do. It's it's always talking about elements of what's needed within the business and and how that's going to work, particularly for the business, but for the staff as well, and also for. Um, the environmental aspect of our business as well. So there's a lot of impact in that that we try and touch mm. on. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's all working as a team rather than me kind of uh, kind of being at the front of the helm constantly and telling people what they should or shouldn't be doing. It's, yeah, it's definitely, uh, we're working together. So it's a very inclusive and collaborative sort of leadership style uh, for sure. And I think there's a lot of merit in that in the sense that it encourages people to kind of take on their own form of leadership in a way and try things for themselves and embrace that as a learning opportunity because if you're sort of there as a leader constantly over their shoulder and telling them what to do guiding them through things they're never really going to develop in that sense I think that experience of learning on the job making mistakes perhaps and embracing those that's quite important isn't it it is it is yeah it's it's a good one to to say really because whenever you make a mistake it's something we've got to learn by and 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 as you say, everyone makes mistakes, and, it, and it's just ensuring that that mistake then you can turn that to a positive, and and it, so you can hopefully stop that happening again, and, and it's moving forward. And then there's always every day there's new challenges that that that, that crop up, and and uh, and yeah, there's there's always different ways of working things out. So so yeah, it's 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 moving forward and learning with everything that you do. It certainly is, and um, I think it's fair to say that the here and now, the COVID-19 pandemic that's emerged, of course, that's probably one of the greatest learning curves that businesses have ever had to uh, go through in our time, certainly. Um, for yeah. somebody, of course, working within the jewellery industry, such as yourself, just how have you been affected by the pandemic and how have you had to adapt to meet the challenges that it's brought about? So it's, um, yeah, a real tough one and it's been incredibly tough. So we, uh, the, the option of furloughing staff has been great. The, and the help from the government has been invaluable to, to help us restart afterwards, which we feel like we are doing now. We're getting more towards 
normality, I think. So, so, so it's been, yeah, it's been really tough. Obviously, from day one when we, we were told to close, and then we furloughed most of the staff, and then it was me trying to work from home. And obviously, we didn't have the inquiries and uh, coming through that we normally would do. So it was really hard in terms of cash flow, because as much as we had a, a line in the sand where customers didn't, or at least were delayed in coming towards us, they we still had the bills to pay from previous months uh, of, of goods. So it was cash flow turned into a real problem. But it's just you have to knuckle down and make the most of it. You know, there was the it's this is our business that we set up. It's been 16 years and. We started in 2004, 2005, and then we hit recession pretty much straight into that in 2000, around 2008. So we, we kind of grown up in that environment where it's, it's a case of you just got to knuckle down and, and dig deep. So that's what we've done. We've, we've in, uh, struggled through childcare, doing emails through the night or late on, um, and then obviously no school. So yeah, you've got the next day to, to kind of look after the little ones. So. Um, and we're now coming towards the end where we, where as soon as I got the wind that we could, manufacturers could come back into work, we were straight into, into the office so we could at least keep on with the old production pieces that we had, mm. uh, that we were in the middle of making before. And then also we've had the option, the issues of customers that were to be married or were to be engaged. And then they now have been delayed for six months or a year or, so again, cash flow where they we would have produced those pieces. We you know we bought the the ring, the the platinum, the diamonds that we're going to be setting and creating the the rings from. But then now customers don't want them just quite as quick as they did, and you can appreciate everyone's in the same boat. So they don't want to pay money out that they might not uh, might not have to do straight away. So it's as soon as we got the opportunity to come back in and start the manufacturing process, and and then just at least. Try and, uh, try and work out some revenue and try and uh, keep making people with jewellery. And then inquiries have since started to to increase. So, so yeah, so it's, it's creeping towards, you know, people are, uh, are um, the, the wedding plans uh, that had been planned later in the year, they're now still going forward. So it, it's, yeah, we kind of see and feel that there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so, so hopefully, yeah, we... Uh, we should be okay, fingers crossed. Mm. And just looking back over managing th- through the pandemic thus far, how has it been from a mental health perspective, both for yourself and those around you? Because people ultimately react to different things differently, let alone crises. Some, of course, are mm. find it easier to continue to work even under new conditions. Others, of course, are just that little bit more apprehensive. So just interested to find out a little bit more about that. So, yeah, it has been tough. I think the just the which heaven's been in is the not knowing of how long things are going to last for and they hold the bigger picture in terms of because there's as much as the business is to worry about then we've got childcare and the school's not been in so we're now still having to work part-time because our children aren't at school so it's I guess the just the unknown really of what what might happen if things were to progress you know if there's a second spike you know it's still uh it's still a worry, but I think people are doing what they can to ensure that's not going to happen. But I think what gave us the biggest reassurance was 
obviously, if we're not earning any money, how do you then pay a mortgage? And in this way, keep the cash flow going. So what's been offered in terms of a mortgage, um, freezing the mortgage for three months, and then the, the rates help and also the bounce back and the furloughing that have been offered in my mind was, has been just the biggest uh, weight off your shoulders because if you've got those boxes ticked, hopefully it's then all you can concentrate on is is the business and kind of money aside a little bit, you can concentrate on the customers and, and, and the, uh, the making of the jewellery, which is, which is what we want to do rather than just too much concern about... Um, yeah, what, what the future might entail if you know you've got things covered for a certain amount of time. For certain, and um, thinking about sort of how the government support has been throughout the year, the course of the year, the pandemic, there's been a great amount of credit um, with the uh, the small business loan scheme, the furlough scheme, of course, how that's helped business um, survive this period. But there's also been a great deal of debate about sort of guidelines for those that have continued to stay open, those that are going to be reopening in the uh, the next few weeks and months. Um, have you been satisfied throughout the pandemic that you've known throughout what's expected of you when you continue to be so as things sort of slowly start to get back to the new normal? Yeah, I think so. I think throughout, I think it's been the communications have been good. But the, the, in my mind, in my eyes, the top and bottom is, is it's, you've got to take it, you've got to act as you think fit. So if you, um, all the advice is amazing, what we've been given, but it's just being understanding of what you should or shouldn't do. So we, we have to see people in here, we're in the showroom, we have a screen, we have the windows open with sanitizer, and we look. At, we don't have a huge amount of footfall, so we never got multiple people in the showroom. It's always appointment based and one at a time. So, and then we we're cleaning everything. Once a customer's been gone, we we, we disinfect any handles, things like that. So, for us, it's been quite basic of what we had to do. I kind of I feel for um, the bigger manufacturers or, or office uh, that cater for a lot of people that are in, within a, a close environment. I think that would be much more of a struggle. But for for us. I think it's been really good and uh, yeah yeah quite clear that's encouraging to hear for sure and thinking now about what the future might hold over the course of the next year to 18 months what do you feel is on the horizon for yourself and for former spoke jewelers tim and what do you really hope to achieve as we move into that new normal and begin to embrace its challenges yeah so we were hoping that if we're going to keep going as we have been we've had a steady increase throughout the uh, decade plus that we've been we've been running. So we moved into new premises uh, a year ago, which are uh, bigger premises. So which gives us more workshop space. So we're hoping that we can take more staff on and more uh, more workshop staff. So we don't employ salespeople. So we, we're hoping and really passionate about keeping the tradition of jewelry manufacturing going within the UK. And that's something that we, unfortunately, through the uh, 30 years I've been in the trade, we've seen how manufacturing has has, has completely been depleted within the UK in terms of, of jewellery and other elements of the, of the, of the trade. So, so we're really keen on, on keeping that base here and, and, the, and the traditional skills that we've grown up with and we were lucky enough to be trained with. Because if there's, the manufacturing just doesn't seem to be uh, coming through as it did do, I mean, we worked in a small manufacturer, but still we were, we were casting and creating hundreds of rings a week but that sort of production just has completely affected. So, so we're hoping that we're going to keep that going. But, and fingers crossed, we, yeah, we can take staff on to uh, 
to fulfil that. But then also as well, we we're looking at we've produced a business online under a different banner, uh, the Jewelers Loop, which is uh, an online company e-commerce site, which is is ourselves us creating jewellery, but it's just priced differently, at a slightly different price point and um, a slightly different styling that we get to choose what we create rather than the, the customer that comes into Formosa Jewellers and they tell us what they would like. So so we're hoping that producing some a business that can work online is is moving more towards uh, the future of, of of what might well I think what's going to be ahead of us all is a lot of people that prefer to shop online and uh, as well and obviously there's form there if people choose to come in and, and see us. So so we're hoping yeah with with former jewels and the jewels loop we we've pretty set and and there's capacity to take jewels on if need be for when the businesses hopefully grow. So I'd like to think that we uh, We'll get through this, and then once we hopefully, yeah, we get into the letter in the year, and COVID becomes less of an issue, and we can focus on pushing the business rather than just treading water and, and trying to keep afloat. Certainly, interesting times, um, indeed, over the course of the year, uh, the next year, Tim. And let's hope there's going to be some positive news to uh, share on the uh, the horizon in that sense. Yeah. And in fact, I think it would be fantastic to perhaps catch up and have you back on the program at some point in the next year, just to see how things are getting on, and we can assess exactly what this new normal is looking like by that point. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Thank you. I think that'd be wonderful, Tim. It's been a real pleasure having you join us uh, today, of course. And um, most importantly, um, until we do uh, hopefully speak again in future, do please take care and stay safe with all still going on because there are a great many variables still in this and we are certainly not out of the woods with COVID-19 yet. Thank you very much. And to you too. Thank you. And for those tuning into this, do continue to be sensible even with restrictions continuing to lift. Stay home, of course, where you can and look after yourselves and others because it really does make a tangible difference in saving lives. I was speaking today to Tim Swan, director and founder of Form Bespoke Jewellers in Leeds. And coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this date have scored a hat-trick in the final of a FIFA World Cup after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff himself and all of that is of course coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many many years ago 1962 I think that was so I didn't and, um, yes I, I didn't really feel it at the time it was lucky to be <laughs> playing I guess one or two injuries um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports that was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time mm. being stuck between the two sports 
and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South 
Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of. Thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? 
Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, 
you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you laugh if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have I, to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And I've going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, the... Um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit. Mm. The, um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.